Welcome to the Inspired to be Authentic podcast. My name is Matt Lancetel. I am your host. Inspired to be Authentic is a podcast where we converse with people who are living their most authentic lives. We get real with our guests and talk openly about how they live with courage to be themselves. We explore barriers they have overcome to be more authentic and aligned to themselves and their purpose. Today is episode 14 and we have Bryce Harden with us. Welcome, Bryce. Hi, thank you, Matt. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. It's really great to have you on. Um, Today, we're going to be talking about how to have a difficult conversation around racism. This is a very, very prevalent topic right now. This is something that um, creates a lot of anxiety for people. And today, Bryce and I are going to uh, break it down and we're going to have a conversation, a conscious conversation about race and how... um, you know, we can, we can show people how you can have conversations and um, bring connection and togetherness in, in this type of conversation. So I'm really looking forward to that. I want to introduce um, Bryce officially. Um, so for a living, Bryce is a baker for a well-known grocery chain in the South, Southeast US. Uh, he is also a screen and voice actor. He has also done self-work for the past nine years and feels that his calling is not only for self-awareness, but also self-acceptance too. And most importantly, you're a human being. That's really um, so, so important. And what I want to highlight today is, is the human experience that we all share. But I also want to break down like some of these other areas that you know make us different, right? So that's what this conversation is going to be all about today. So I'm looking forward to that. Thank so, you for having me on. Yeah, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. And I want to I want to give a bit of a backstory because um, I think it's important for the the audience to understand. Um, I reached out to Bryce. He joined a group that I um, that I that I started on Facebook and uh, reached out to him after I had a, a bit of a difficult conversation with somebody around race. And I I, I just wanted to pick his brain. I I, I think I I, I asked him uh, with all this Black Lives Matter stuff going on, how do you feel about it? And um, maybe I'll just even pose that question to you again. What, what, are you, what are you feeling currently with this stuff going on around BLM and, and this movement? Well, I would not particularly assign everything to the Black Lives Matter movement. Okay. The Black Lives Matter movement is addressing a lifelong situation that has been invented since I believe the Spanish Inquisition um, of the topic of race to differentiate. Because, you know, when we when, if, when human beings see something, we don't know what it is. We got to name it. Yeah, label it. So we can familiarize ourselves with it. Yeah. Um, and it, it isn't so much, it, it like, it, and it really, it's been a systematic it's been systemized to the point where certain groups of people have an advantage and certain groups of people don't Mm -hmm. and basically what the black lives matter is addressed the the blm movement is addressing the different treatment of of police the feeling of being safe and secure the the vast obvious difference between um, Caucasian people or people of European descent yeah. and then African um, people or African-Americans, okay. people of African descent, particularly here in the United States, yeah. where it has been 
like before, like after slavery. Like, okay, we can't trade slaves anymore. What do we do with all these people that we have imported after, you know, we can't have them as slaves? Yeah. So basically another form of slavery was instituted, even though it wasn't called slavery, it was called the incriminalization. It was called criminalization. Okay. Because I saw a documentary maybe a couple weeks ago on the 13th Amendment to spell it out and saying no man is supposed to be under servitude unless they're a criminal. Mm. Like, you got to really read that. Yeah. So what's another way to... And, 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 and the lifelong fear is is that white Americans are going to lose everything to equality. Mm -hmm. uh, white Americans are going to lose that it's, it's been this since it, it's been this at least the past couple centuries, at yeah. least the past few centuries has been, you know, if you don't claim yourself to be superior than black people or brown people or yellow people, they're going to take what you have. Yeah. But yeah. It's just, it's it's just been this long life fear and especially one way to keep a nation keep a, a, a nation of people down is through your safety system. It's it's been a part of institutionalized racism for centuries. It's even in our constitution that says that people of African descent are three fifths of a human being. Mm -hmm. So when when we're treated like animals, if you've seen in several video clips, several, yeah. like people are recording it on their phones now. Yeah. Like it isn't your word against mine. It's you got this now. You got yeah. these devices that you can record now. And the then the and the thing that the Black Lives Movement, the Black Lives Matter movement is addressing, especially is the disparity and the impairment and the false balance in the judicial system. Yeah. In the judici <clears throat> judicial and the policing system of how blacks are treated and how whites are treated. And like even of several cases of where it, it's either minor crimes or what they call misdemeanors. Yeah. Like, like I'll even say here in Georgia is where I live. Yeah, in Atlanta, correct? Yeah, in Atlanta. Yeah. So about four hours southeast of me is this place called Brunswick, Georgia. And these were three, in, in, in they show you in the video clip, three white guys were going after a black guy running through an affluent neighborhood. He was just taking a job. Hmm. This is all he was doing. Like this hit me home when it happened in my state. Yeah. So, but anyway, his name was Amon Arbery. But I believe he was 25 years old. And he just wanted to run through the neighborhood. And he was looking at a house that was on sale. You know, a lot of us look at houses on sale because it's it's a dream. Yeah. It, it's a part of the American dream. Yeah. Of, you know, what we want is like our own home or our own job or our own business or our own, you know, 
what they call living the life, living the dream. And then those three white men, which one of them was taping the incident, was following him. And then in order for him to not escape or run off or anything, the vehicles were blocking him in. And then next thing, the young, I think the young guy, the, the son, came out with a shotgun. And so Ahmaud Arbery reacted to protect himself, so wrestled with the guy with the shotgun. And finally, he was shot about four times. And he was dead. And then they went back and then they told the police because the father was 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 in cahoots with the with, with the police chief or whatever or with the DA. He 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 was he was in cahoots with the sons because he's an ex police officer. Yeah. You know, it, it it's it's so they covered it up for the last two and a half months. Like because this happened February twenty third. Mm-hmm. And then it came out at the beginning of May. Wow. So that long, a murder, a murder mm-hmm. was not taken care of because they were trying to decide which DA was going to be taking care of it. And the first DA, because they were in cahoots with, with the suspects, that nah, he wouldn't take it on. Yeah. And so. I don't know how the when when the videotape came out, that's when the Georgia Bureau of Investigation came out because they didn't want the FBI to get involved. Because if you have the FBI get involved in your state, and then a bunch of southern white men are gonna be up in air, the, the feathers are gonna 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 rat, rip, ruffle. Yeah. Anyway, so when this came out, I was flabbergasted. And we were still already dealing with COVID-19. We're still dealing with COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And here I am being scheduled just about every day at 4 a.m. in the morning. Now they put curfew laws in the, you know, once again, why were Black people being arrested on curfew, vagrancy, like in the old days after slavery, yeah. and put them in chain gangs to build railroads? And once again, am I going to get pulled over? Is this stuff going to happen to me? It it, it was just, it was just like, am I safe? Because you don't feel safe in the neighborhoods where you live among your neighbors. And then you call the police to expect them to have you feel safe. And they actually have you feel more unsafe. Yeah. But anyway, with this Ahmad Aubrey, and here and here it is, even though the police it was not the policeman, it was not an on-duty policeman that killed Ahmad Aubrey. Still, the way the police handled it around Brunswick, Georgia, they covered it up. Hmm. So it was just like there's a there's a safety issue that's there. And there's the judicial system that's there. And there's just like, this is what Black Lives Matter movement is actually trying to say, this is not acceptable. Why is it 
that anything that involves a, a mistreatment of a black male, it's put under the rug. Under the rug, yeah. You could you could go back to um, let's see, Trayvon Martin. Trayvon Martin. That's where the Black Lives Matter was 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 born out of. Was yeah. Trayvon Martin? He was a teenager in a hoodie walking through the neighborhood. Yeah. There was a guy by the name of George Zimmerman following him and called and called 911 and decided to play heroics after all the 911 called 911 the dispatcher said I don't we don't think that's a very good idea you should let the police handle this matter you should do this and you should I mean had a gun on him and everything hmm. and you could hear them and you could hear them he gets the George Zimmerman gets out of his car him and Trayvon Martin are struggling and then a gunshot goes off and you know what Trayvon Martin had in his pocket Skittles. Wow. We have Skittles, cell phones, wallets, keys, anything trivial. And in all this extreme, I even looked up which amendment was was pertaining to cruel and unusual punishment. Like our country is so out of integrity with our Bill of Rights. Yeah. It is unbelievable. It is unbelievable. The First Amendment right, anytime when black folks in this country historically have done have done assembly, petitions, here comes tear gas, here comes rubber bullets, here comes rubber batons, here comes push down, everything. The Ku Klux Klan can hold something in a state park which a lot of other white folks object to, but because they are American citizens and because they hold it in a public place, they're allowed to do that. They're allowed to preach hate, not just hate, but murder. Yeah. Murdering someone to feel superior. It's crazy to think that that still happens. You yes. know, like when I think about that, I think about that happening in the fifties. I don't think about it happening anymore, no, but it clearly it, is. It, 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 no, but it takes on different forms. It yeah. isn't just in the fifties. Yeah. It's the fifties that brought it to the attention of stuff that's already been happening. Yeah. Especially during reconstruction. Yeah. That's actually an area that I want to, I want to dig in with you because I think when we look at things that happened in the fifties, it was very much overt racism. Okay, it was acceptable to be overtly racist. How has that changed now? And how does covert racism express itself in your experience? Money. Money, okay. How so? Oh, money. Money. <laughs> okay. It, it is. It's Tell money. me more. Tell me more. I want to know more about it. Okay. Anytime when a media is brave enough to show how it treats its citizens that are different than them. And the whole world is watching. You remember Birmingham, Birmingham in 1963. Yeah. Where these police got these garden hoses. You know, the gar- not garden hoses, but fire hoses. Yeah. Where water pressure, like it could just blow your heart out. And the whole world is watching. Yeah. The whole world is watching. And you're like, who wants to do business in a country like that? When we go to when we go to Middle Eastern countries that are like third world countries where they have legal torture of people, yeah, America is the first one to speak up about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Until 
until it's found in your own backyard. Yeah. Why is that? Because we want to look good. Yeah, it's all about image. Yeah, it is. It is. Everything is about image and money. So back to the original question about covert racism is, is expressing itself in maybe your life or your experiences with it. How, how does that, because I know covert racism is more the contributor to systemic racism than overt racism is. So how does covert racism, like subtle racism, present itself um, in today, to, like, you know, today's day and oh, age? It, pre- it presents, I'm going to tell you how, it presents itself in, and I see this on looking for jobs all the time. Back in the 80s, back in the 80s and the 90s, what was happening was since people were getting in trouble with credit, they would use that against you into being eligible for a job. And guess who was affected by credit issues yeah. more than anybody else? Yeah. So guess what? You know, we didn't have that much access to go and file a bankruptcy like like everybody else. So therefore, if our credit was bad, we couldn't get a job. Here's another way of covert, how covert racism happens. How far do you live from another job? Because all the good jobs are all the, or the decent jobs are in the affluent neighborhoods. Yeah. And very often in the affluent neighborhoods in America, when you're living, when you're living in the hood like me, it's like about over 20 miles away. So they're using proximity as a way to discriminate? Exactly, yes. Yeah, okay. Proximity, proximity issues. Do you have a car? And again, how much easier is it for for anybody else to get a car versus an African-American getting a car? Yeah. What is it like for you? It it shows up very subtly. Do you remember um, back in like, the 1990s when they were having subprime loans? No. I was just five years old. You were how old? I was just five years old. Old child, you a baby. (laughs) I was in my 20s. Yeah, okay. So let me tell you, subprime loans are those type of loans that are outside of regulations of what it is to approve someone for a loan or to approve someone qualified. Okay. Because the income gap among whites and blacks are so far, the, the wealth gap, the wealth disparity in this country, because we basically, we basically were enslaved to build the country without profiting anything from it. We couldn't pass, we, we didn't have anything to pass on to our future generations. We didn't have anything. And it, like, we still got a long way to catch up if you want to do research on it, you know, but, um, but back in the, back in the nineties, they started doing subprime loans. This was with Bill Clinton's presidency where a whole bunch of African-Americans, including myself, we supported him because we wanted change. But a lot of stuff that he, that they were doing in their presidency had actually worked against the African-American community including the subprime loans. Subprime loans, in other words, subprime loans, you're subject to like higher, um, you're, you're subject to variable rates, you're subject to higher um, interest rates because you don't have the income to meet what you, what you want to get approved for. 
Mm, okay. Because, like I said, again, it, everything is based on your income. Where a white person's income is here and a black person's income is still down here. And there's still a gap. You can go to Bureau of Labor Statistics for the United States. Mm. And it's not. So instead of solving this problem, doing this, what the government did was we'll still have traditional loans for white people and for black and brown people will have these subprime loans. So mm. basically they can live in the same neighborhood, be here for free. Yeah. Where, whereas in fact, in, in maybe like in 12 to 24 months, because you were under such a variable rate or the type of, um, or the type of mortgage that you had, some mortgages, they had like a balloon insurance, a balloon interest package where your, 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 your interest could, your interest could be much higher. Your interest is much higher than your, um, principal payment. Hmm. And what happened, what I've seen a whole lot happen is a lot of African-Americans would be in foreclosure. Like, I'll tell you my experience. I was just beginning to, I, I was still pretty new to the South. I'm from Chicago. I was still pretty new to the South back in the mid-90s. Yeah. There's this, there's this stock clerk, black female stock clerk. She was only getting $8 an hour. And somehow she was able to move into a three-bedroom, three-bathroom house, 1,200 square feet. I don't, I don't know how many what, but I know she, I know she was like, she had, to, she, she had to come up with $1,200 a month. Yeah. On $8 an hour. Yeah. Something's wrong with that picture. Yeah. You don't qualify for a loan like that on $8 an hour. That's on, for a 40 hour week, that's only $320 a week. So if, if you do $320 a week, it's like all your that's, money. <laughs> that's a, that's $1,280 a month before taxes. Yeah. So that's going to be a negative right there. So then after taxes, you're lucky if you get a thousand. So then you're $200 in the hole. Yeah. So like, how did you qualify? Because we have a big culture of materialism in order for me to feel valid in order for me to feel valuable. I got to have these material assets to show off to people. Yeah. Do you think that's more um, prevalent in the African-American community or is it prevalent in the human species? Like what, what would you be opinion? It's prevalent in American culture period. Yeah. And Canadian but culture, especially, but especially in, especially in the African-American community where it's like the only way that we can feel valid is to fit in with everybody else yeah the only way to feel valid because this is like to a certain extent we we we're, we're like one of the only communities that don't see value within ourselves and don't see value within each other because we've been taught standards of beauty we've been taught standards of beauty yeah. We've been taught standards of ethnicity. We've been taught standards basically of what it is to be a human being. And what it is to be a human being, you, you, you picture a white male. Same thing with women. Yeah. Like women, some women have been taught and conditioned to feel, in order for you to feel value as a woman, you gotta you gotta have a man in your arms. And in order for you to have a man in your arms, you gotta 
you, you, you gotta, you gotta have long hair. Yeah. If you don't have long hair, you better get some weave tracks in. Yeah. Okay. You gotta have makeup. You gotta have banging eyelashes. Um, you gotta have a flawless, you better have a flawless wardrobe. You better have a, um, a Savelle figure. Hmm. If you're too big. Are we talking about shame? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. How does that, how does that impact? Um, well, let's, let's, would you be even willing to share personally for yourself? How has shame, uh, had an influence on your life? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, please. I'd love to hear that. The biggest shame for me hasn't been around being African-American or being black. As a matter of fact, I was lucky enough. I was blessed enough to grow up in a racially integrated neighborhood where I got to see all sorts of people and all sorts of cultures. Um, I had, I had, I had mixed kids in my neighborhood. Uh, There are mixed kids in my, there are mixed people in my family. That's not, that's not unusual for me at all. But anyway, the, 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 the prevalence of shame was not so much in my racial background. The prevalence of shame was so much in it is what it is to be a man. Ooh, that's a good one. What it is to be a man. I was very effeminate and artistic. I was, I was also labeled, I was also labeled learning disabled and socially handicapped because I didn't do the things that other boys would do. And I felt at that time, boys were rough, vindictive, mean, like venomous, too highly competitive. I didn't like that. So I would play with the girls. The girls were more creative and innovative and fun. And that was like me growing up. (laughs) Yeah. I felt safety. I felt safety in the feminine energy until I got to a certain age where I started to reject feminine aspects. And it was within the gay community that I actually picked up on. Um, yeah. The, oh, yeah. Okay. F- no fats, no fans. Yeah. No exactly. blacks. No this, no that. Right? I know. Uh, pardon, pardon my French. This is what I say. <laughs> Fuck that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I... Um, I agree. And I think, I think it's so important to be having these conversations for this reason. And, and I, you know, the work that I do, the primary work that I do is helping people through shame. Okay. And I, I, I want to know in as many ways as shame infiltrates itself in people through all different ways, through being, you know, um, whether it's sexual orientation, whether it's race, whether it's age, whatever, right. We all experience shame to a certain degree in our lives. And, um, it's good. It's good for us all to be informed on this, the different and unique ways shame shows up for us, right? Because I don't understand what it would be like to have um, shame around being a person of color, right? But I all I do understand shame of being a person with privilege, right? That's a different expression of shame, and I think it's important to have these conversations because it's like it. it once we understand where each other is coming from, it makes it a whole hell of a lot easier to practice empathy and compassion, right? Which is, that's what we need to be rooted in if we want to make change on this planet where we're no longer um, seeking to have power over other people to feel good about ourselves, right? That's yeah. what it comes down to. Yeah, exactly. Power. I mean, you could, you could, 
okay, you could read the Bible where the Hebrews were slaves of the Egyptians. Mm-hmm. And so um, the, the, I don't know. I don't know what your I don't know what your beliefs are. I've been rooted in Christian leanings. And, yeah. you know, yeah. when, when I came down south, I started to I had to study the Bible because that is the language of the south. Yeah. Yeah. I, I grew up Catholic, to, so I would understand some yeah, of what you're talking it's about. It's yeah. not enough to say God loves me. Yeah. It's not enough. Yeah. It's, if you if you are going to say God loves you, you better have evidence to back it up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you yeah. better do a, a, a study from what it is, a cultural context, who wrote it, who put it in there, why was it put in? And there are some gospels that were excluded. So but anyway, that's that's a totally that's a totally another. Yeah. But but anyway, to discuss on the on the on shame in my life, it wasn't so much of me being African American. It was so much of me being labeled, you know, socially disabled, learning disabled. So I was called half retarded. So I made that mean I was dumb and less than, um, you know, my brother and sister. And I told myself I didn't fit in with my family. Yeah. Then. Here was a feminine. I love playing with my sister's dolls more than I love playing with my brother's taco trunks. Mm-hmm. Good for you. You know, I, I, just, I it just, sorry, it, it, it's just what it is. Yeah. And then being made shameful by that by other boys. Yeah. Then you find out the species you've been resisting. Then when I find out the species I've been resisting is a species that I'm sexually attracted to. Yeah. That's the third whammy. <laughs> like boom. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you on that one for sure. And by 16, I was totally suicidal. And guess which people gave me a hard time about being gay the most? African Americans. Yes. Yeah. It's Absolutely. very homophobia like is very say, prevalent in that. Everybody culture. has a Hebrew state of mind. The Hebrews became the Israelites. Yeah. It's the same thing with same thing when when folks from 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 Europe had moved over here to the Americas, you know, you, you know, the people in Europe were trying to escape religious oppression. Yeah. Oh, I don't like it. I don't like it happening to me. But then come over there on the in, indigenous citizens of the country. Oh, I'm going to impose something on you. Yeah. Then I'm going to take these people from this country and I'm going to impose it on them. Yeah. The same thing with the Israelites. If you read, if you read, oh God, which, which book in the Bible? I don't know. It's at the top of my book, but where I think it's, I think it's one of the, it's either Samuel or Chronicles. Samuel Kings or Chronicles, where it's like the Hebrews enslaved these different tribes of people to build their community and culture. Hmm. But but it's like around the topic of shame, I was suicidal from 16 to 19. Um, 19 years old, I finally came out to myself. Um, even had a conversation with God. I said, is if this is how this is going to go, then this is how this is going to go because it doesn't make sense for me to go and marry a woman and try to have kids with her yeah. and, and put the family through all that secrecy and confusion. Yeah. I just didn't, I mean, I mean, talk about being my authentic self. 
and access to that. And, and I started going, I started seeing a different therapist, which actually affirmed people being themselves. And she turned me on to this place called Horizons which was a place in Chicago where youths from 14 to 21 would meet on Wednesdays and Saturdays. Then it started growing from two to Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Saturdays. And it was a place where I grew as a person, where I got to be myself, and where I really, really just tapped into my feminine energy and where I never got to be shamed around it. Yeah. And how it occurs for me, even in the world of racism, that feminine energy of a man is now beginning to be celebrated among the African-American community than anywhere else, whereas with, with whites, you know, it's pretty much accepted because for me, if, if a black man was effeminate and not masculine, it wasn't as threatening. Yeah. Oh, we'll keep them around. Oh, yeah. We'll do that. Yeah. And so um, I guess that is one way of where I, throughout some of my life, I became an exception to being around some whites because some whites didn't find me threatening, even though I'm 6'3". Well, no, I'm not six two. I'm six two. I'm six two. It says it on my license. Yeah. But anyway, but but anyway, it, it's 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 like this realm. It's even a realm of shame for me that's could. I'm I'm projecting that could be underlying in some whites, especially in the poor white communities, mm-hmm. where they're constantly being told by rich white communities. You got to preserve your land because if you don't, blacks are going to take over or blacks are going to do. Now it's not Mexicans that are going to take over. Yeah. It's just all this power struggle. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's all this based on superstition. I want to go back to a comment that you made about um, you talked about white people experiencing you. And I actually want to I want to flip it around. What is it like for you to experience a white person? And I want to be re- I want to be real. Like, like let's dig in, and yeah. you can ask me the same question. I, I I I don't mind being on the hot seat as well. I think this this conversation has potential to go to go into a really cool area where we can really explore some stuff. Um, I'd love to know what what it's like for you to experience a white person. Do you want me to? I'll be very honest. That's I all I ask. Yeah. Could, sure. All right, these kids. <sighs> Sorry about that. Um, I actually. I actually feel safe. I actually feel, I actually, I feel safer around whites than I do some blacks. Hmm. I think that's the last answer I would have expected. (laughs) Based on my, based on my experience growing up, you know, from an integrated community turning into a predominantly African-American community Hmm. and being bullied by more African-Americans than whites for being gay. I mean, I'm not going to be totally blind to racism and how it works, 
I mean, thank God I had parents. I had parents that were like came up like at the end of the depression and had like had uh, had even bigger obstacles presented towards them, you know, in terms of, of in terms of racism. They've told me stories of their experiences. They've told me their stories of, um, you know, experiences with jobs, experiences with moving into neighborhoods, finding a home. It, it just, they, they've been through loopholes. Yeah. Whereas I would go ahead and I would listen. And for some reason, and for some reason, the black people that I grew up around, especially later in high school, gave me a very hard time. They gave me a very hard time about being gay. Hmm. Gave me a very hard time. Not denying that, you know, there are whites that don't do the same thing. Yeah. I think it could be whites that do it to other whites. Yeah, definitely. I experienced some of that growing up gay as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, how, do, how do I feel about being around a white person? I'm fine. I'm fine with it. However, if it gets to be like a very, if it becomes a homogeneous populace at a bigger volume, hmm. I'm going to be suspect. I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, I have to do Okay, let me get my prescription sunglasses real quick so I can see. <laughs> I know that's a racist joke. I'm sorry. It's uh, funny. You know what's interesting? I, I just spent um, nine months or sorry, eight months living in Asia. So I was in Thailand and Vietnam and I was in smaller cities. So it was very homogenous there. There was, you know, predominantly all Vietnamese people. It was the right. fir- it was the first time in my life that I've spent a long duration of time being a minority. And it was very eye opening for me. And it was kind of like the like opening to like me wanting to explore this side of um some of my conditioning and and what it's like to be a white person in a in a minority setting and that sort of stuff and um it was it was yeah it was really interesting um i think the biggest thing that came out of it for me is just how under the microscope you always feel you know what i mean thank you yes yeah, that's right. There's no like being a wallflower. Like you're always kind of being stared at, no. or you're always being questioned, or you're always being being whatever. And the Vietnamese people were very, very kind. I'm not saying that there. I experienced a ton of racism. I did experience some, but um, but yeah. So yeah, it was just it was interesting for me to have that experience. Really good for me to actually to have that experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I want to I want to take this conversation into a place where it can be a little bit more educational for the for the the listeners because um, I want to talk a bit about how well first of all how as as white people we can be an ally and be a support and be be you know, have these conversations without feeling like we're we're um, saying the wrong thing or that we're walking on eggshells because I know that's a very common experience for a lot of white people is they have a lot of anxiety. They have a lot of shame and they try to maybe lighten the situation with humor. And that's, and then again, it makes you feel like you're under the microscope even more. Right. So what, 
I, and, and obviously this is going to be very individual to you, but you know, it, I'm not going to get you to speak for the whole, uh, for the whole black race or anything, but for you, what, what's been helpful for you to have conversations around race with, with, with people, specifically white people. I have had the blessing of being raised by two wonderful parents mm-hmm. who raised me to um, listen openly to other people and to also, you know, not everybody's going to agree with you yeah. on your point of view around life because everyone has a different walk and everyone has a different journey. Mm-hmm. And I have also learned in, in some self-development, particularly, um, particularly, um, you probably heard of it. Have you heard of Landmark? I have, yeah. Yeah, yeah. have you done the forum? I haven't, no. I know lots of people that have, and I've done coaching with people that have, so I understand it quite well, actually. Old child, <laughs> let me tell you, everything begins in the listening. Yeah. Everything. Everything begins in the listening. It's like I had a previous conversation with you. Mm-hmm. We're not trained to listen to each other. We're trained to hear to react. Yeah. And defend. <laughs> yeah, we're here to, we're here to attract we're here to to hear to react defend react defend and prevail and be right exactly yeah and and unfortunately that's also that's also the listening of racism itself the listening of racism itself is is to prevail yes exactly it's it's really to prevail and um so um i would say starting with having conversations like this, like for yourself to initiate, to invite me to be on your podcast and to have these type of conversations and to also be told that I made a difference for you. Um, and for me to be a space for other people who may be expressing some shame and some in- intimidation around the subject of racism. Yeah. I've got, like I said, I've grown up with all t- different types of people. I have heard all different types of viewpoints. Yeah. You know, I, I have had the blessing of like not listening to just one viewpoint and having to agree on one viewpoint. Yeah. Because if you agree on one viewpoint, it's going to stagnate how you relate with other people, how you relate with different people. Yeah, it creates blind spots, right? And that's what a lot of people think white privilege is rooted in is these blind spots where where we're we're not educated to the point of being able to see life through your eyes. So we're not sure how our privilege impacts other people. And I think that's why it's so important for us to inform and educate ourselves so that we know these blind spots and we make them more aware and, and we can therefore conduct ourselves in a way that is, you know, again, more, more empathy. So we can understand what's how other people are impacted by even just our presence. Yeah. Sometimes that's, a very, even think, that's a very good way of putting it. Yeah, that's a very good way of putting it. Like that, like like you know, a lot of that is rooted in in a blind spot that yeah. is yet to be realized. Yeah, and then with our human nature, we actually fight blind spots to be revealed. Exactly. Yeah, ego because we want things. Things are going fine the way they are, and the way they're not. Yeah, and then something else comes to root, and we got to do everything to resist it. Yeah. Yeah. No, my, my, my privilege works for me 
I don't want to hear that it's actually oppressing someone else. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's important to have these conversations. And I think it's also really important to understand that all races and all cultures have blind spots, right? And it's very important for us to acknowledge them and not just as white people, as all people to acknowledge our blind spots. And right now, obviously, we're talking about, you know, white people and acknowledging their blind spots. And that's so, so important um, for white people to be doing this right now. And, and, and I'm sorry to interrupt. No, and no. for black people to acknowledge for us to acknowledge our blind spots among each other. Yeah. Yeah. Because racism, it's not, it's not for me. Racism isn't just white towards black. It's also black towards black. Yeah. Ranging from skin color, hair texture. Yeah. Facial features. Um, word pronunciation. Yeah. Um, Composure. Yeah. And a lot of this is actually infiltrated from the dominator system, the white male dominated yeah, yes. system. So you guys are oppressing each like other. I told you, what, what have I been telling you? The slave <laughs> becomes slave master. Yeah. Go read a look. Yeah. Go read Exodus. Okay. And then go read it how, how the Hebrews became the Israelites. Yeah. It's just, it's just, it's, it's the and trickle the down Israelites effect. Do the same thing. Yeah. It's this thing that, we're we're still copying the Egyptians. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, one thing I want to point out. So, you were kind of like a safe practice round for me. <laughs> you have a lot of consciousness. You have a lot of um, just a beautiful presence, okay? And for me to have this conversation with you, it's quite easy and it comes naturally to me. Not all people are going to bring this presentation to a conversation. So, when I'm when I have some conversations with people, I feel like they're leading with fear and hate and anger and all this stuff. And that's okay. Okay. It's, it's, it's really is okay, but it's when it's, it remains unconscious and they're unpacking it and making it about me. So that's when I want to go right. on, on defense as a, as a white person, I want to defend myself because I feel like I'm being attacked. Right. So you made a comment to me in our previous conversation. You said, when you defend yourself, regardless of whether you agree or not with the person, you are invalidating their experience of you. And their experience of you is valid, but it doesn't mean I have to take it on and make it about me. And I think that that alone, it gave me chills when I heard you say that because I was like, holy shit, you know, this is, this is so cool. And I knew this all along, but it's like when I apply it into this racial context, it really gives me good insight in how I can approach people and right. have these difficult conversations, right? Lead with curiosity. Don't make it about you. It's what you know when you're making it about you that your ego is now involved and you need That's to take a it. deep breath, right? That's right. Yeah. And it, is it okay to have that conversation within the conversation? Like saying like, you know what? I'm heated right now and this is, I'm feeling defensive and bring yes, it out on the table. Absolutely. Yes, yes, absolutely. And we need more conversations like that, not just around racism, but even in interpersonal conversations yeah. and marriages and families and in, in working associates and this and that, where we're told, like, instead of us being told, don't feel this, don't feel that, emotions are actually energy signifying yeah. something pleasant <laughs> or, or something unpleasant yeah. or something comfortable, something uncomfortable yeah. or something's not right or this feels good. You, you, emotions are energy. Yeah. And when you're, and, and, then, and then when one of us, and, and, and the thing is, especially, in this day and age where we have been told and conditioned in, in, in some families don't feel anything. Mm. 
because it, it, it throws me off because I was raised in a family where it's like, you feel anything. Yeah. Yeah. You, you Actually, I anything. was too. You feel anything. And I, I'm around other friends and they're, they don't, it's just like, oh, oh, I'm not emotional. You see emotional on their face. Where you're not, you're, you're like you're, you're like you're, you're like where your self-expression in that moment is not welcome. It's not validated. It's it's really nullified yeah. because it's 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 our in of it's our resistance to be with anything. Yeah, that's uncomfortable. That's uncomfortable, and then you have to, and then you have to do some self-work. Why am I uncomfortable? What is my experience with this? Or you may even have to go as far as what am I making up about this? Yeah. Yeah. Like, what am I making up? Like, what actually happened? Mm -hmm. And then where's the, what's my interpretation? And too many times we leave with our interpretations and not with what happened. Yeah. That's a really good point. We're filtering it through our own beliefs and our beliefs tend to, you know, when unconscious tend to be rooted in fear. And that's where we start to get really, really aggressive and and we become very hate filled is when our beliefs are are rooted in fear. Yeah. And what are the three? And and, and I I even, um, let's see, there's this guy that does, um, that does these clips. Um, His name is Dr. E, Dr. E.A. Okay. I, I, he's an African-American. Um, you, you can look him up on Google, but like he pointed, he pointed that subject out about beliefs. What are the three letters that are in beliefs? What are the three letters that you, what's one word that you could see in belief? B. One letter or word? One word. B is one of them. That's one of them. Okay. B. But then there's another word. It's right next to it. Live? I need to write it down. Belief. It's a three-letter word. Oh, okay. I see what you mean. Bell? No. L B E L. Just tell me. (laughs) Lie. Lie. Oh, okay. Yes, 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 yes. Belief is spelled B-E-L-I-E-F. Be life or be be lie. Be lie. Okay, so bring it bring it back home. What are you trying to get at? <laughs> that most of our that, that I, I I've come to the point where it's like where a lot of beliefs are lies. What's what's one for you that you would say is a lie? Something that you've believed in that you've had to really uncondition yourself to. Oh God. I'm still unconditioning myself to this. Yeah, me too. My belief, my belief, my belief is that this world is dishonest Hmm. and I'm not strong enough. Hmm. The world is dangerous. Um, The world is exclusive. The world is unrighteous. And everyone wants to take advantage of me. 
Hmm. because I'm very kind. And if I'm kind, I'll be kind to the wrong people. Hmm. And even within that lie, that lie becomes truth as a matter of my speaking. And it, 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 like, it shows up out there and I'm listening and I'm listening to the world through that filter. That, that, all, that, all, human being, that all humans are liars. Yeah. And that's, what we, that's the work we need to do. That, that really is the work. And I think that's the remedy for racism as well to bring more equality onto this planet is, is um, taking our beliefs from unconscious into conscious so yes. we can bring understand them. Right. And then once it becomes conscious, because a lot of, again, human nature, we don't want to do that. Why? If it's brought into the forefront, guess who's got to be accountable? Mm-hmm. If we want to be right, we don't want to be accountable. Exactly. Exactly. And I always tell people, I said, my life started to change when I started to take accountability and responsibility for my own pain. Right. Yeah. Instead of blaming everybody else for my shit, I started to take accountability for it and everything changed for me. I took charge of my own happiness. Yeah. I yeah. took I had I had some really, 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 you know, I had to really restructure some views during this COVID COVID phase. Like, yeah, you know, I'm not gonna be happy. I'm not you know what? I'm not gonna be happy. I don't need a big home or mm-hmm. an elaborate job to show off to people to be happy. I can create happiness from right where I'm at right now from moment to moment. Yeah. And I'm creating happiness right here in this conversation with you because I'm creating happiness through communication. Yeah. Through through being authentic. Yeah. And not having any shame there around me saying to you or trying to figure out or trying to figure out what can I say to sound good for this for, for this person. <laughs> yeah. That's beautiful. It really is. And it's like, you're just the model guest to have on this podcast because you'd bring forth um, who you are in every, in every essence of, of what that means to you. And I can feel it, right? I can feel, I, I have a bullshit detector so strong in my, in my system. And Me I just, too. I can feel people's authenticity and it just, it feels so good when somebody feels safe enough with me to show up in that because there's no greater gift that somebody could give me than the gift of their authenticity. Right, because what I also found now, now that I'm talking with you, what I can also be responsible for is when I'm not authentic, that where I block people out, that that it, with some people I don't have them make a difference for me, mm. so they don't they can't stir up their calling to make a difference for me, because hmm. I'm in my superstition of this person is trying to use me. Yeah. This person is trying to manipulate me. Yeah. Hmm. What advice do you have for people? Let's even just say people of color that, that are struggling right now. Like I feel the energy on this planet around race and it's so freaking intense. It's unbelievable. I have anxiety in myself because of it. So I can't imagine what it's like for people of color going through this right now. Um, what advice do you have for people that they can start to move in the direction of being more conscious and healing through some of this stuff? Shoot. I know it's a big question. Well, we've been, well, we've been conscious. We've been conscious of racism. Yeah. We've had, we've had, I, I really don't know what to advise except for, 
the stuff we've already been doing. First of all, we've accepted the racism in this country. Yeah. We've accepted it. We, we've accepted it. We will even go ahead and recreate it for ourselves. Yeah. Um, you know, as African-Americans, the way to survive is to keep our creative juices going. Yeah. Because that is where, that is where we are strongest at. We are strongest at being creative beings, creating things. Yeah. Creating things, creating art, creating just, just we're, we're, we're creative people. Yeah. It's very interesting when you look at people that are in oppressed groups, they tend to be more creative because suffering yes. creates creativity because in our suffering, we find depth and we, we, we dig into ourselves and that's where creative energy comes from. So yes. I, I think it's, we're at a, a pivotal point right now where this, if, if people can, and that's what I mean by consciousness, I'm not saying people aren't conscious of racism, but how can they turn it and be more conscious of how this is impacting them on an individual level? Because we have system like the systemic level and we also have the individual level if we're always waiting for the system to change before we can tell ourselves we're okay with ourselves it ain't gonna happen that day is never gonna come no baby the system can change but will you that's what i mean yeah exactly and i had that experience being gay right i have come up with uh, up against so much resistance uh from people around being gay and 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 in Canada, it's just as prevalent as it is in the United States where hatred and oppression towards gay people. And if I sat and waited for the system or the government to tell me it's okay to be gay, I would still be self-hating right now. Yeah, because there's that inertia of self-hating that's going on. Yeah. Well, first of all, on an individual level, we have to be very willing. Yeah. Am I willing to do some self-work? Yeah. There are some people that are not as intuitive or as introspective as we are. Yeah. And there you have to get to a place. Well, you, you have to get to a place. You have to be provoked or moved to something to where, it, it, especially if you're in rock bottom. Yeah. When you're at your rock, rock, rock bottom. It, yeah. Some people, it may be appear that they may be at their rock bottom, but they're not at their rock bottom yet. Yeah. So when you get to your rock bottom, that's where you have to start internal work yeah that's where you have to start okay what's happening yeah what what's going on what's why is my life not working the way i want it to work yeah that's that's where that's where it has to come yeah if i'm waiting on other if i'm if i'm gonna wait on my job or my family or or my friends or anybody else to provide me happiness i'll never be fulfilled exactly yeah if i wait on everybody else to provide me joy i'll never be fulfilled yeah. if i wait on everybody else to validate me as a human being i'll never be fulfilled it yeah. will never happen <laughs> if i wait on hollywood to validate me as a human being it's never gonna happen yeah yeah you're a wise man that's for sure yeah so one other area I want to touch on, because a lot of the people that are going to be watching or listening and watching this, I guess, are, um, are people in the gay community, because that's a lot of my following. So what is it like to be a person of color in the gay community? Loaded question, I know, but I want to hear your thoughts and, and feelings. No, I'm glad you asked that. Because here's the thing that I've come to realize when I first moved down south, especially when I moved to Atlanta. 
racism is very prevalent in in our community racism sexism yeah, yeah. ageism tr- transphobia yeah big time that's a big time transphobia where whereas it's for me racism in the in and and i've dated and when i started dating i've dated interracially and so when you know i i i remember um you know going to some certain places when i was in chicago i would be asked to have like more than one form of id to get into a club wow or down here down south i would tell you where the racism has really been since i moved since i moved to atlanta in 2001 in the churches wow yeah martin luther king dr martin luther king couldn't have said it any better the most segregated day of the world is sunday at 11 o'clock in the morning in churches because hmm. you have black churches you have white churches and again i was brought up in an interracial church yeah so black church and a white church wait a minute yeah what's wrong hmm. what's wrong it, 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 for me oh yeah there's a lot of racism there's a lot of racism down here which is why a lot of cisgender a lot of cisgender gay white men vote for a certain socially conservative party yeah to retain it protects their, their interests. White male, yeah. Retain their cisgendered white male privilege. Yeah. And it isn't just going on today. It's been happening before um, sodomy laws were repealed hmm. in the Western world. If you go see the movie The Victim, which is based in 1961, and I'm sorry to go on another tangent, but I mean, it's something for you to see. Go see the movie The Victim. Okay. Look up the movie The Victim. Okay. It was made 1961. I'm going to write this down. Okay. Okay, go on. The Victim, 1961. The Victim was a movie that was centered around men in powerful and affluent positions being blackmailed. And they were being blackmailed for being found out that they were gay. Hmm. And the and who are the who are the species that are mostly in power? Cisgendered white men. Yeah. So when you have something, if you're not heterosexual, or if you're not Protestant, or if you're not any of that regular stuff. Shit hits the fan and it's all over. But like being gay, when it was still looked at as a as a disorder, as a disease, as a criminal offense, a sin. You were you were you were you were you know you you were actually put on a sex offenders list. Yeah. If you were gay, you were put on a sex offenders list. People don't know that. Yeah. 
There is an activist, there's an African-American activist by the name of Bayard Rustin. You need to write that down too. How do you spell it? <clears throat> B as in boy, mm-hmm. A, Y, A, R, D as in David, and then Rustin. The word, the words rust and in, Rustin. Okay. I'll take people think people people credit Dr. Martin Luther King for doing the latter work of the civil rights movement, where it was actually the person that like formulated the the latter part of the civil rights movement was Bayard Rustin, and the reason why he could not get any credit for any of his because he was gay. Hmm. He had he had something on his record where he was in the back of a vehicle in 1953 in Pasadena, California. He was fooling around with another man. The police caught him. He was arrested. That had to be on his record for the rest of his life. Hmm. Because they had sodomy laws on the books. Yeah. And being and being that an openly gay black man back in that day? No. And then, and then to be involved in the civil rights movement, to put in wisdom where Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was lacking around the nonviolent movement, Baird Rustin had perfected it for about 20 years. He's been involved with the communists, Whereas, like, Martin Luther King was stepping into the civil rights movement in the 1950s, Bayard Rustin had already perfected that. Like, he's been with everything. Like, Bayard Rustin's a Quaker. He was born in, he was born in Pennsylvania. Um, he endured a lot of discrimination as a black minority over there. Mm. He's learned to love people unconditionally. He's been in the Communist Party. He's been on multiple racial unity initiatives in the 30s and the 40s. Yeah. The original March on Washington for equality was supposed to happen in 1941, Hmm. along with Asa Philip Randolph. And it didn't happen because President Roosevelt had already, you know, I think he already made up the Equal Employment Opportunity Committee and had put in a bill of equal worst workforce for men, which wasn't that effective anyway. But yeah. still, it, it only made it only made it only made things. You 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 can only do three things at that time. You yeah. could still clean up a white man's toilet. You could go into the army, or you could go or go work at the post office. That was it. Hmm. You could only do those three things. Yeah, that's it. But, um, but yeah, and of course, um, Baird Rustin got a lot of flack for being gay, not just from the white community, got it from the black community too. Of course, that belief system, beliefs, yeah. So I, yeah. I would say, look him up. I will. Yeah, I wrote it down. We'll take yeah. a peek at that. Um, I have a couple more questions for you, but one of them being, um, 
this is specific to the gay men's brotherhood because you're part of the brotherhood. Um, I see you as being an instrumental part of this moving forward. I really, really love your energy and what you bring. Um, but as, as a, a, a white male in the group that, that's aware of his privilege, what can I do to make the, the group inclusive for everybody? I guess it goes back to what we discussed, being open to other people's concerns, Mm -hmm. being open to being open to what's said. I would say be prepared for some objections for what people see. Yeah. Because again, if you go to the LGBTQ community and you're still seeing a bunch of predominantly cisgendered white male faces. Yeah. That's going to raise questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely, I think that's important. And I think there's going to be people that are going to come and they're going to bring me concerns with love. And then there's going to be people that are going to bring me concerns with fear. And it's going to be a really important um it's gonna be really important to have to for me to maintain integrity in some of these conversations with people yeah. because I'm gonna be almost you know looked at as you know people can sometimes approach me with um, judging the book uh, or judging the cover before reading the book kind of thing like I'm white I have privilege uh, but really they they don't scratch the surface and see that I'm a white person that I use my privilege to help educate and help bring people right. into so it's like I I, I I find it can be it can be challenging for me. I do want to go on the defense when people start to attack me because I'm white and they think that because I'm white, I don't understand diversity or how to bring. So it's, it's a fine, it's a fine balance. I I want to have these conversations with people and I want to be open, but I feel like there has to be mutual respect on both sides. It's very important. But there are also, but also, I also want to tell you, Matt, there are also people that are going to think because I'm black, I can't read as well. Of course, of course. I can't do, I can't do arithmetic. Yeah. Or I, I can't do anything else other than because I'm black. I can't do anything else other than shuffle a ball for millions of dollars. Yeah. Spit a few bars on a track. Yeah. Rob and loot the store and deal drugs. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and you hit that. And, 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 and the thing is, is, is that, you know, like I said, what comes up for you when those communications come off to you as people assuming you don't know anything about diversity. Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly the same thing. We're looking at it through the same lens. And I, that's why I keep saying that empathy is so important, right? Because just because I'm white doesn't mean that I'm not subject to feeling invalidated by being a human being. Right. I think and that's really what what I would love to see this world get to is that we start to look at each other as human beings and not as human right. beings with these characteristics that create separation between you and I. Yeah. Right? And I know but that's for something. But here's the thing. If you're going to create a world like that, it's going to have to start with you listening. Of course. To other people's concerns. Yeah. And it's going to take it, it's it's going to take it's going to take you approaching those things from a question or from curiosity Mm -hmm. which i'm very more than willing to do and i have been doing up to this point so i think it's um yeah it's very important listening it's one of my greatest uh abilities Mm -hmm. 
But you're really going to have to, you really, it, 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 it takes like listening to points of views that you're not going to necessarily agree with. And you may even have some people accuse you of things that are not true. Yeah. Yeah, it's already happened. It's happened multiple times. People, I've had yeah. people. So it's it's you know it's if anything it's giving me a lot of insight. It's making me question. It's making me get curious about my own conditioning and stuff. Um, but part of this process, when you put yourself under the spotlight, is you have to you develop a thicker skin, right? Mm-hmm. And and I won't become calloused, but I will develop a thicker skin to the point where I'm able to differentiate. You know, people bringing me valid concerns and people projecting their pain onto me because there has to be a distinction between those two, and I can't. Um, I can't reinforce unconsciousness because that's not in my nature. My nature is to call, right. to call out unconsciousness and, and, and try and bring consciousness to it, right? So it's, it's the coach in me. It's the counselor in me. I can't help but do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I would like to end with a, a tip. So I, I do something in the, the podcast called This Is Me Tip of the Week. And This Is Me is like a statement that, of self-ownership. Like, this is me. This is who I am. I'm proud of who I am. How? What's one tip that you can share that's worked for you in your nine years of doing self-development that's helped you own who you are and be proud of who you are? Um write in plenty of journals (laughs) okay what are you writing Um, write in plenty of journals write down my feelings and then after the feelings have gone after it's calmed down then like determine what really happened then to determine where could I have been responsible or what could I have done better to alleviate the situation? Yeah. Yeah. Emotions really cloud our objectivity. So I like how you say that release the emotion first and then go into doing some of the, you know, introspection, look at yourself, see what part you played in it when you're not heated. Yeah, when you're not heated, but like I said, emotions, emotions are going to naturally come up. I'm not saying like block the emotion. That's going to be even more toxic. What you resist persists. Exactly. So it's yeah. going to get stronger. So if you just be with the emotion where it is, but you don't marry it, you know yeah. what I mean? You don't stay there. Yeah. I like that one. Like I said, especially on this, especially on this topic right here of racism, like it, it's, like I said, you know, like a lot of people in this world, be prepared to have things coming at you. Yeah. Be prepared. You don't have to be prepared. Yeah. And yeah, your humanity is going to come on out. Mm-hmm. You're just going to have to. You're just going to have to be responsible. Yeah. Like I have things coming out towards me with homophobia. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. That's yeah. where you stand. Okay, great. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of what I notice is a lot of people want to feel heard and seen and va- and valued. I I always like revert back to if I don't agree with somebody, I always just say thank you for sharing your point of view. Um 
you know, thanks for commenting. Like just, just allow them to feel validated. You don't have to say you agree with them. Just say, I see your point of view. I see where you're coming from. Right. And it, it really helps distinguish, um, or extinguish, I should say people's, um, egos almost. Mm -hmm. And then approach the, approach the conversations with questions. As long as you approach the conversations with questions that are around their concerns and not yours, that'll validate them even more. Yeah. That'll validate other people even more. I mean, it isn't, it isn't just, okay, white and black. It's really, really relationships in general, like being with that person, like, you know, their concerns. Yeah. Their issues. What are their matters? Yeah. What's important to them? Like that's where you begin listening for some things that may be unsaid. Yeah. Like you actually may be listening for from another African American, I want to get ahead. Yeah. I want to have a future. I want to feel safe. I don't feel safe with the police right now. Yeah. I've had these instances happening and then seeing these things on TV or seeing these things on social media. Yeah. You know, I want to feel safe. Sorry. Do you have yeah. any questions for me? Not at this moment. No. Okay. Okay. Well, I've said this before and I'm going to say it again. You are a wealth of knowledge. You bring such a beautiful energy, beautiful presence. Um, I'm just so grateful, honestly, that you would even take the time out of your day to have this conversation with me. Um, I'm kind of selfish in a way because I'm using this conversation to help, you know, do undo some of my conditioning, but I am a person with influence and I want to take that and I want to help people have these same conversations. So if anything, you're giving people the gift of more consciousness. And I think uh, it's just so beautiful for, for you to be able to offer that. So, um, thank you really from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. And I thank you for the bottom of my heart of allowing me to be in this platform and having this conversation with you. I do appreciate it. Thank you. And I, and I, I really, my intention for when you publish this conversation is that it makes a difference for the whole world. I agree. I definitely agree. And let's make, let's set that intention. Let's make that because it's, it's, we need more of this. You know, we, you look on social media and you see so many things of people fighting and and people, you know, guns and this and that, like there's not enough of these conversations happening in public for people to see and learn from. No, so no wonder we're all caught in, in, in unconscious traps because that's all we see. That's all that people want to share because they're too scared to have these conversations. So if I can just even alleviate some anxieties and show people how it's possible to have these conversations, I've done my job. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Well, you have a beautiful evening. You have a beautiful evening too, Matt. Let's stay in touch. Okay. I will. Thank you, Matt. Thank you.